Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. I'm a clinical counselor living and working in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. I've worked as a trauma therapist for over a decade, and after so many years supporting clients working through PTSD and stress-related injuries, and remaining engaged with the latest research in the field, I've learned a lot. As a result of my learning, combined with my ongoing disappointment and frustration at the ways in which many first responders and frontline workers lack meaningful support, I created this podcast, along with some other tools you can find online, in an effort to bring easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life, behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines, and I'm so glad you're here with me today. Today, you're joining me as we enter week two of a five-week series covering every side of self-care imaginable. Even better, on top of this five-week podcast series, I'm also offering a five-day challenge called the Self-Care Dare Five-Day Challenge for First Responders and Frontline Workers, where those who choose to take the dare will get access to daily videos prompting deeper learning about self-care and tools for integrating strategic self-care into daily life. The challenge will help set up habits and break down barriers, and it only costs five bucks. So, if you're keen to really commit to strengthening your wellness and building up your reserves as a weapon against burnout or worsening work-related stress, check the show notes for the link to register for the challenge. You can register right now, anytime before March 2nd, when the challenge kicks off. Last week, we talked about what self-care isn't, and if you haven't listened to it yet, I would encourage you to start there if you have any squeamish feelings that come up when you hear me talking about self-care. I recently found this quote I love, and I wish I had found it in time for last week's episode. It's from Brianna West, who says, true self-care is not salt baths and chocolate cake. It is making the choice to build a life you don't need to regularly escape from. I love this quote because it speaks to much of what we talked about last week, that self-care is not simply the fluffy actions so often talked about in relationship to the word self-care. But I also love that this quote offers something really insightful that connects to our topic today as well, that true self-care is a choice and that it is filled with intention. Listen again. True self-care is not salt baths and chocolate cake. It is making the choice to build a life you don't need to regularly escape from. It is a choice to build. If you're new to Behind the Line, you may not yet know that I am a bit obsessed with the word intentional. I have tried to find synonyms, so I'm not saying it quite so ridiculously often, but frankly, there is just nothing else that I like quite so much. 
If you can imagine for a moment getting the chance to build your own home exactly the way you want it, pipe dream for most of us I know, especially those of us living in the lower mainland of BC, but maybe fun to imagine. If you had that chance to build your own home exactly the way you wanted it, spare no expense, would you choose to just slap something together? Or would you choose to rush through doing the bare minimum to have something that stands, albeit perhaps a bit dilapidated? Or would you intentionally, thoughtfully consider and choose each piece to be the way you know you would want it? I feel like most of us would choose the last option, that if we had the chance, we would want to maximize it and make our dream home mindfully considering our needs and wants for both now and the future, meticulously crafting a design, carefully selecting the finishings, conscientiously evaluating who we would ask to complete the project, and intentionally being involved in the process of seeing it through to completion, right? So if we imagine getting the chance to choose and to build a life we don't regularly need to escape from, it likely earns our attention. To not just slap something together or rush to do the bare minimum, but to intentionally consider, plan, and create the life we long for. We're going to continue circling back to this metaphor of building a house over the next couple of weeks as we continue to nail down what it looks like to construct a thorough and comprehensive self-care plan. But for today, we're going to focus in on key concepts we need to keep in mind to ensure our self-care plan is strategic. This is really the skeleton of your self-care plan. At this point, less specifically about the actions you might choose to do, In our house metaphor, the actual self-care activities would be more like the selection of finishings stage of construction. And more about the concepts you have in place as you consider what activities might fit best for you. Consider this more like the blueprint phase, the structure on which all the choices will be based. These concepts will also offer you some guidance around what things you might already be doing well, and where you have gaps to ensure your plan as it develops is as comprehensive as possible. When I say comprehensive, what I mean is that your self-care plan needs to wrap around all sides of you. It cannot just be something that you do a little bit some of the time when you have time to yourself and the conditions are perfect. If that's the case, it will never happen. Your self-care plan needs to meet you where you're at, wherever that may be, in almost any given moment, situation, or condition. It needs to be thought through from different angles and built to serve you. It also needs to be somewhat flexible, adapting to our shifting needs or conditions. And any good plan needs to have review. We need to be able to step back once in a while and evaluate how our plan is going, what's working, what isn't, and make changes as needed to keep it working in our favor. You grow and change over time, and so too will your interests, 
time, energy, and other factors that will impact how your self-care activities feel over time. That's okay and totally normal, but it means we need to take a beat and notice when things that used to work well for us aren't anymore. Examine why that may be, and then brainstorm ways to shift the plan to accommodate. When you're working to build a comprehensive and intentional self-care plan, there are four main areas that I encourage people to be conscientious of. First, keep time in mind. Most of us feel like we never have enough time. I for sure get that and feel it often. So when we talk about something like self-care and the idea of a comprehensive plan, I also get that it can feel a bit overwhelming and like it just adds one more thing you have to do in a day. I don't want that to be how this feels. And part of how we let that go, let that sense of pressure go, is to understand that self-care happens in big and small moments. Some self-care is quite active and some is more passive, which we'll talk more about in a minute. As a result, when we're thinking about creating a self-care plan, we want to think about planning big and small things into it, and probably way more small things than big ones if time is tight. I think it tends to be easy to think of the big things, the hour-long massages with your RMT, the weekend getaways to some lovely location. These are the things that are easy to come up with and dream about, but hard to fit in on a regular. When you're imagining what kinds of self-care actions to structure into your life, I want you to be sure to think about things that fit into 5 or 10 minutes, or 15 to 30 minute increments. These are the ones that are going to be your bread and butter. They can keep you afloat because they're doable even when life gets hectic. A couple of ideas of low time commitment activities might include a couple cycles of square breathing, which we talked about a couple weeks ago in the episode on mindfulness skills, or laughing at a short video, or listening to your favorite song, or doing a quick lap around the block. Also consider activities you would do if you had an hour or a couple of hours, as well as activities you would find restorative if you had a whole day or more. Second, keep the dollar bills in mind. Again, it tends to be easy to think of self-care through a high-ticket lens. In part, we're trained to think this way as a result of our media exposure, where self-care is that high-priced gym membership, expensive spa treatment, or weekend getaway. We know that our need for self-care is used as a mechanism to drive us to spend in an effort to satiate our longing for calm. But the truth is, self-care can and should be accessible at every price point, including free. Similar to our conversation about time, when you're creating a self-care plan, structure it with your budget in mind and try to get creative thinking of ways to build in tons of self-care that costs very little, if anything. Your plan should include a host of activities that cost nothing. Some that cost a little bit, some that cost a moderate amount, and some that are on the more expensive end, like that weekend getaway that sounds better and better the more I mention it. Some examples of free activities include listening to your favorite music or a podcast, (coughs) talking to a friend, 
putting on your favorite clothes that you already own, don't go shopping, or going for a walk. Some inexpensive ideas can include choosing something scented, like a candle or essential oil to have on in your space, picking up a small treat, or buying your favorite coffee. Higher ticketed activities are probably a lot easier to think of, but we'll also be talking more about ideas and brainstorming in the coming weeks if you're needing ideas. I will also say that you can consider ways to keep your higher priced self-care fiscally responsible by asking for self-care to be gifted to you. Ask for a gift card to your RMT as a gift for your birthday or Christmas, or be specific about what you really want and ask for people to pitch in on it to help you get there. In my life, everyone and their dog knows that I'm hooked on Starbucks. If you ever see a picture of me on Instagram or Facebook, probably I'm holding a Starbucks cup. And I love getting gift cards to help supply my very expensive coffee habit. There is no shame in asking for those you love to help you access things that help you feel loved and cared for. That's why they want to get you a gift to begin with. All right, third area to keep in mind as we work at building a comprehensive and intentional self-care plan, keep energy in mind. Did you sleep well last night and feel like you have energy to burn? Or are you exhausted and barely dragging yourself through the day? Were you doing okay this morning, but by lunch started to feel bogged down like you're walking through sludge? The reality is that our energy fluctuates in significant ways day to day, but also within any given day. And our self-care has to be able to flex with that. If it doesn't, it will tend to feel more like work and less like care. To keep energy in mind, we need to first be able to assess our own energy in an effort to accommodate for it. So we need to be able to step back for a moment and ask ourselves how we're doing, where we're at, and what we think we need. Sometimes we may be low energy and need something that lets us be low energy and perhaps a bit more passive. Whereas other times we may be low energy but need something that helps move us out of that and builds our energy. There's a bit of introspection that needs to happen here, which can be tricky and may involve some amount of trial and error as you sort out what it feels like to be at a different energy level and what you personally find helpful or not helpful at any given point. I shared a story a couple of weeks ago that I used to have to drive right past my house en route to my gym and would feel caught between the choice to go home to my quiet house, this was before I had kids, and have a nap or go to the gym and do my workout. Often, my low-energy, post-workday brain encouraged me to go home and have the nap. But I often noticed that this didn't make me feel better. It actually tended to make me feel a lot worse. I also shared a mantra that I came up with at that time that went like this. When I want to do it the least is when I need to do it the most encouraging me to remember and recognize that my brain can play tricks on me and prompting me to keep in mind that I may feel low energy now, but during and after my workout, I tend to feel a heck of a lot better than when I succumb to the decision to nap and then feel groggy and grumpy the rest of the evening. Once we feel like we're assessing our energy and working at meeting our need with an activity, we need to ensure we have activities that meet the spectrum of energy requirements. 
Your plan should include some activities that can happen passively, with virtually no energy involved at all. This might include things like music in the background while you do other things, the scented candle or essential oil that helps you take a deeper breath while you're doing something else, your favorite cozy socks or comfy blanket. There are tons of things. Your plan should also include some activities that are low energy, like reading a book or listening to a podcast or watching a funny show. There should also be activities that are higher energy, like going for a walk or a bike or a hike playing a board game, hanging out with friends, and so on. Last on the list of areas to keep in mind as we work at creating a comprehensive, flexible, and intentional self-care plan is to keep context in mind. In our day-to-day lives, we find ourselves in a zillion different contexts. At home with people, at home alone. In the car with people, in the car alone on a walk with people, on a walk alone, at the grocery store with so many people, at work, at the gas station, at the dog park, you are in different contexts all the time. We can't wait for self-care to fit into only the most idyllic conditions, where we have hours on our own to do whatever we might like with. I keep saying that self-care has to happen in the big and small moments, and this is so true. To make it really count, it's going to be additive. Little bits add up to matter in bigger ways than you might think. So as you work at imagining your self-care plan, I want you to think of actions that can happen if you're on your own, if you're with one or two people, or if you're in a crowd. I want you to come up with ideas for when you're at home, at work, and out and about. We have to try and use every moment we can and make them count to maximize our wellness. So there you have it. Four areas to keep in mind as you start to imagine creating a comprehensive self-care plan. Keep time in mind, keep expense in mind, keep energy in mind, and keep context in mind. These are going to be the key pieces that help you work out a plan that meets needs at all levels in the monotony of day-to-day life, as well as in the not-so-monotonous moments. Next week, we're going to be talking about how to make self-care personal, and we'll start brainstorming actions to fit into the structure that we're establishing today. But before we move into that, I also want to clarify a couple of other foundational pieces that are important to remember and understand as we go forward. So first, not all self-care feels good. Self-care includes practical actions that care for your best interest even when it doesn't feel good, like dentist visits, exercise, budgeting to reduce your financial stress, and so on. Similar to care parents show for their kids, some of it is about making them feel good, strengthening their sense of self, sense of being loved and nurtured, And some of it is about forcing them to take their medicine, eat their vegetables, and get a cavity filled. This will be true for you too. Some of the care actions you build into your plan will be nice, nurturing, calming, encouraging. And some will be base care for your practical needs, like brushing your teeth, keeping up with doctor's appointments, and things like that. Remember last week we talked about the core aspect of self-care actually has little to do with the actions or activity 
and more to do with the heart behind the actions. Knowing that you're booking that doctor's appointment as a way to demonstrate that your health matters is actually self-caring. Second thing to remember is that self-care includes setting boundaries and saying no. Again, if you think of it from a parenting perspective, sometimes part of how you have to show care as a parent is to set limits that your child may not love. In our own self-care, we may need to set limits with ourselves and say no to things even when we really want them, like saying no to more screen time and scrolling on my phone and instead making myself go to bed a bit earlier. We may also need to set limits with others in an effort to show respect or kindness to ourselves. This may include limiting contact with someone who makes me feel badly about myself or who consistently hurts or upsets me. It might mean saying not this time to a request to do something because I know what I really need is some time to rest or do something different. Tagged alongside setting limits, self-care includes holding some grace for myself that I can't be everywhere doing everything all the time. Remember that bank account analogy we used last week? If I'm not investing something into my energy day to day and week to week, but I'm expecting to give generously from those stores, at some point I'm going to run out. Help yourself to know that while it may not always feel good to set limits, it is in your best interest and the long-term best interest of others that you invest in. Third, self-care involves experimentation and capacity to self-reflect in an effort to notice what you like and what you don't, what works for you and what doesn't. I remember years where all anyone ever talked about was how great baths were. And I tried to like them. I really did, but I don't. They are terrible. It is not only okay, it is necessary to evaluate what you like and enjoy and what you dislike and provokes discomfort so that you can lean into the things that feel actually restorative rather than just doing what you think you're supposed to. Self-care also involves noticing needs and seeking to fulfill them, getting creative and scrappy with options that fit for you. It means taking time to step back and take notice of what's happening for you and working to come alongside yourself to meet those needs. And this will evolve and change over time. Actions that were once helpful may not always be. Let this be an ongoing adventure of discovery. For those of you just getting started thinking about self-care, start by meeting basic needs. Hydrate, eat nutritious foods, engage in hygiene activities, prioritize sleep habits, limit substances, limit screens, prioritize base health needs, including doctor and dentist appointments. If you're already doing all of these things, bravo, good job. But I would also encourage you to reflect a bit on whether you're doing them with a heart of care for you or out of a place of routine or obligation. And consider if there are ways that you could shift your mindset about them to lean heavier into the caring for self heart. I know it's pretty basic as a starting point right now. But likely for most of you, at least a couple of the actions I just listed are more challenging, like prioritizing sleep or limiting screens. Notice where you could challenge yourself a bit and see what happens as you make some small changes and let these accumulate over time. 
Next week, we'll be talking about ways to take this foundational structure and understanding and use it to guide the process of exploring, discovering, and building your personalized self-care plan. I hope you'll join me for that. And again, I hope that you'll sign up for the Self-Care Dare 5-Day Challenge for first responders and frontline workers, which you can find links to on our podcast webpage and in the show notes from today's episode. It will take the conversation we've been having during this podcast series and take it up a notch to really help you to create a killer, sustainable self-care plan. Check it out and reach out and connect if you have any questions or just want to say hi. Until next time, everybody, stay safe.